Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, parents have struggled with how to manage their time for generations. There is just so much to do, so much to balance. In the age of extracurriculars, from travel baseball to soccer to gymnastics, piano to tutoring lessons, art, enrichment, the question of how to fit everything in, complete the carpool, get dinner on the table, help with homework, get to the store, get some work done, give your kids some undivided attention, and... Yeah, still take care of yourself. Seems nearly impossible. So how do we do all of this? Do we do all of this? To hold our hands and help us to shift from having it all to getting it right in the moment is best-selling author Julie Morgenstern. Julie Morgenstern is the author of Time to Parent and five previous books. You've probably heard of them, including the New York Times bestsellers, Organizing from the Inside Out and time management from the inside out. She is an internationally renowned organization consultant and sought after speaker who has shared her expertise on the Oprah Winfrey show where I first saw her, the Today Show and more. Julie has helped thousands of people transform their homes, their businesses, their attitudes about every kind of clutter. The New York City-based Julie Morgenstern Enterprises has been successfully in business for over 25 years. I want to welcome Julie to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> I'm excited Thank you're you. here. It's going to be a good show because we need this desperately. I'm pulling my hair out over here, and I know a lot of other parents are as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a tough job. I mean, that's the thing about parenting. It's like the biggest job in the world. It's the most important job, really. Uh, it's the most complex and, um, and the most ambiguous. And that's, we'll talk about how to, how to, how that sort of impacts us, but mm -hmm. everybody, it's the most time stretched years of a human's life. And no one's really been able to give guidance on how to navigate it with confidence. Yeah, you know, that actually brings about some of my first thoughts because before we get into everything, for those who haven't read your books or seen you speak, I'd love to know what gets you up in the morning and how you wound up shifting your attention to specifically helping parents organize their time at this point. So what gets me up in the morning every day is really just helping people tame the chaos in their lives in whatever form it takes so that they're free to make their unique contribution. I, I think the coolest thing about living on earth is that every single person is a unique being that has a unique contribution to make. And 
disorganization and lack of systems kind of inhibits us from being able to make that contribution, whether it's to our family or our jobs or our friends to the world. And systems free us, right? Systems actually can unlock and, and, and get the best out of every being we have on earth. And that's what gets me up for the morning. That's why so I how organize. How did you end up shifting to this whole idea of parents getting organized with their time and, and doing the sort of mental clutter idea rather than simply looking at how we are organizing our closets and our desks and our schedules, which, of course, we need to do as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, throughout my almost 30 years of organizing and time management coaching people all over the world, men, women, uh, you know, people of all kinds of professions and stay-at-home people, et cetera, my client base isn't only parents, uh, exclusively parents, but the truth is probably 80% of my client base upon reflection was parents because parents are, it's the most time stretched, demanding, conflicted priority years. And there were patterns, always patterns of parents just feeling torn between conflicting priorities. How do I, you know, be there for my kids and not lose myself? Uh, do I spend time with my spouse or do I get back on the computer and get some more work done? And there was just this pattern wherever I went in the world, really, um, of parents just feeling like, A, whatever they're spending time on, they're, they're neglecting something else. So they weren't enjoying anything they were doing, right? Like everything was sort of had a shadow of guilt and a sense of incompletion. And also not knowing where the edges are of any part of the job. And, you know, it is the most, it's a very ambiguous job, right? Like what, what, what is the job, not just of a parent, but of the parenting years where, how do you divide your time? And one thing I learned as a time management coach is that job ambiguity in any role, in any position is an absolute recipe for overwork, inefficiency, and insecurity, right? If you just think about it, in any job, if you don't really have a clear job, like you don't know what your job is, how do you know when your day is done? How do you know, right? You don't. You don't know because I don't even know what my job is. It's like, and, and, and how do I know where my strengths are and what areas I really need to do better and build skills? Without a roadmap, you are never satisfied, you are never done. And that is the way parents have been operating for generations, which is no manual, no instruction manual. I mean, sure, how do you put your kids to sleep and how do you do this and how do you do that? But not you as a parent to navigate the time choices that you have to make to keep everything operating, that your kid happy and healthy, and not the rest of your life fall apart. How do you do it? So I thought we need a job description because once you see it, you go from an, a job ambiguity to job clarity. Then you can like, oh, I see where the edges are and I see where my strengths are and I see what I tend to neglect because I'm not as good at it or I don't feel like entitled to that, like self-time or something like that. 
and you can start to adapt and adjust just like any job. And, and I really felt like, listen, when my daughter was born, I was desperate for an instruction manual. I was like, how am I supposed to divide my time? And I also really, Robin, wished my parents had had an instruction manual. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us do, right? It's so, like, it's so hard. And just to put high beams on what you're saying, this high idea that it's so ambiguous and amorphous and, you know, it feels really big and, and it doesn't feel like it has edges. It feels like one of those, you know, those like blobs that like pick up everything along the way, you know, it's like everything sort of sticks to it and then pulls yeah. it to its center. That really does feel like parenting a lot. And I like that in your book, you talk about the value of having a parenting job description, as you just mentioned. And I'd love to kind of delve into that a little bit more. If you could tell sure. us, you know, what what do we do? Like, how do we break that down? What is what is the job description that we need as as a parent? Sure. So one thing when I was writing the book, Robin, and I did not write this book. I could not have written this book while I was still my daughter was still under my roof and I was in the day to day throes. Like That's you're so just important. making your way through. Oh my God. I'm trying to survive here. That's you are just like clawing <laughs> at it, making the best choices you can, doubting yourself at every step of the way, and crossing your fingers and hoping your kid doesn't end up on a couch for the next oh 30 my gosh. years. You are that, so right, right on exactly where I am. Yes, yes. I yeah. think that's a lot of people. Absolutely. And I, and I want to tell you something. What's really extraordinary is, I so I couldn't have written the book then, and plus like all the years of working with clients, and I also ended up doing a research into the science of human development because I thought I'm a time management and an organizing expert and that I can design a system around anything. But I, I'm not a parenting expert and I, I don't know what the experts say kids really need, mm -hmm. right? Well, how and so I said, I'm going to do the research and I, I, eight years of research and I dove into the science and I interviewed leading experts and, um, uh, 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 scientists and psychologists and sociologists and all the leading voices in the country and read thousands of pages of studies. And I had one big burning question, which is, I think, the question we all have as well-intended parents. And that question is, how much time and attention do kids need to feel loved and secure? Mm -hmm. That's what we all want to know. And if we under, if we could know, then we the answer to that, then you can build around it, right? But that's the part that feels kind of endless and you always feel falling short. So I found the answer. It was not easy, by the way. I actually dug, I had to dig and dig and dig because people tend to be like, well, you know, I, I, it depends on the kid. It depends on the family. I was like, that does not help my parents who are going to read this. We need edges. So I found the answer, and uh, I'm going to tell you that. And I actually don't think I even answered your question yet about how to break it down. But I want to kind of share it with you, um, and then I'll tell you that it was like after, and when I was reflecting on this, I thought, wow, I actually did a better job than I thought. Oh, that's much It felt amazing, but it also – made me sad that I didn't know it at the time because I think when we don't know how we're doing, 
30% of our time and mental space is spent worrying rather than just enjoying where we are because we're confident. It's like, oh, I'm doing good. Or, and, and the areas that I'm not so good at, oh, I, can, I could have fixed those with much less effort had I known what they were. Mm. So that's sort of um, not quite the answer to your question, but part of what my journey was. Mm. So, um, and I didn't realize also that the years that we, until I was writing the book, it occurred to me, the years we're raising our kids happen to be the prime of our own adult development years. And no one ever talks about that. But think about it, right? When you're raising your kids, you are also building, establishing and building a career. You're developing a love relationship with a significant other. Uh, you are developing a social circle. You're discovering who you are as a human. And that is really not talked about. And we feel the pulls in our gut but we always feel like we're supposed to sacrifice everything for our kids. Mm -hmm. And so you pulled, but it's the prime years. So here's the job description. You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready and writing. Okay. So during this, and then by the way, this applies from like the birth of your first child to the launch of your last, no matter how many kids you have, no matter how, how long that is. This is the, this is the way you need to think about, the job and what you have to divide your time between. So first break job into two parts, raising a human and being a human. Mm -hmm. Right. We refer back to what I said. It's like you, you can't, this is prime, prime time for you too. Mm -hmm. And if you let the rest of your life collapse in service of your kids, your kids end up paying for that mm -hmm. in time lost to the chaos, right? Like when you're going through hell. Uh, so anyway, raising and being. Then each of those have four components. So in for raising a human, a happy, healthy human, which is what we all want to do with our kids, we have to divide our time between four kinds of activities. We have to provide for our kids. We have to, that usually involves working and making money to pay for things that they need provide. We also have to arrange the logistics of our kids' lives. Where are they going to school? Who is their doctor? How are they getting to school? What are they having for lunch and dinner and after school and all those things that you were talking about? It's a very complex job, actually, more complex than anyone ever recognizes. Mm -hmm. Arrange. The next thing we have to spend our time on is relating to our kids. We have to relate to our kids and Really, that's that sort of getting to know this individual for the unique human that they are, right? Really understanding this person and connecting to them. And the fourth thing that we have to spend time on is teaching our kids. We have to teach our kids values and life skills in order for them to succeed in the world, right? right. So that's four things. Provide, arrange, relate, teach. It spells an acronym PART, P-A-R-T as in doing your part for another person. It's really helpful to, to kind of see it that way. And, and what you're saying is like creating those edges so that, you know, you have, you know exactly what you need to do. And, and also it kind of highlights where 
where you may not be putting as much attention, doesn't it? It it definitely does. It's like uh, we all gravitate toward the things we're good at and away from the things where we feel less confident. Mm-hmm. And or, you know, there's patterns, like we're trying to be the opposite of our parents, so then we overcompensate in another direction, right? That's the way it's been going for, like, generation after generation. But when you look at it, you're like, oh, wow, what am I spending too much time on? What am I not spending enough time on? And um, there are patterns that, that emerge. You know, there are people who are very high on provide and arrange and very low on relate and teach. That's a that's probably the most common. I have a self-assessment on my website that people can take um, that will tell you what your profile is. Your your uh, and the largest uh, percentage uh, of people who've taken it are high provide, higher range. I think it's around thirty percent of the people who've taken the survey uh, the self-assessment. And those are people who are really like it's what I call a responsible doer. Mm. They get things done. They're good on the checklist. They keep the trains running on time. Things are moving, shaking, but they really struggle to slow down to the speed of children. Mm, oh, that's such a beautiful thing to say. Slow down to the speed of children. You know, because yeah. all of a sudden you realize, oh wait, there's humans involved here, and you know they they need. They need our eyes, too. They need our hearts and our attention as well. I'd love, to yeah. find, I'd love to find out from you about how how having this job description sort of takes items off of your to-do list and yeah. also at the same time kind of puts a, a light on what you have to do. So the way I think it takes items off your to-do list is that when you're looking at this and you realize you really need, each parent, by the way, needs to to feel whole, uh, for you to feel whole and for your kid to really um, also feel uh, fulfilled, we need to spend time in all four of those, right? Some some take more time than others, for sure, right? Provide and arrange by nature take more time. They're just physically more time consuming. Um, but by by seeing uh, these, you suddenly realize, wow, I'm not spending enough time on relate or I'm afraid of teach and I don't feel really good as a, I don't feel qualified as a teacher. And I, you know, um, and I'm spending too much time over here. And it makes you realize that this job is bigger than any one human can do alone. That's the first thing, because I think one of the biggest mistakes we make as parents is we think we should do it all. We can do it all and we should. And parent after parent that I coach and work with does not want to delegate. Either under their roof, they don't want to delegate. Like that arrange quadrant, women by and large, even in the modern day of men who are much more participant in family life, Mm -hmm. women still have the lion's share of arrange. They don't want to impose on their spouses, and they don't want to impose on their kids. But arrange, uh, is it the most delegatable thing you've got in those four quadrants? Mm. 
everybody can learn to vacuum, to clean, to put dishes in a dishwasher or wash them. Um, th those are objective skills that anybody can do. Nobody can replace you in relate. Nobody. Right? Your kids, the most important thing, role that you play with your kids, really, the, the, the indispensable one is helping them know that they are loved and important, which is what you are able to communicate by being present with them, by entering their world, by getting to know who they are and acknowledging them. Nobody can replace that. There can be a lot of people who relate to your kids, so you're not the only relater, but as a parent, who doesn't want to know from their parent that I matter? That's that's what we all want, right? So it kind of, and then you're like, oh, I can delegate. I can delegate more in a range and I can delegate more and provide because that's not my only job here. And I need to carve out time for those other two quadrants. They're critical. Um, so I think it gives you the courage, the perspective that it's too much, which everyone can tell you don't try to do it all. But when you see what that actually means, you're like, oh, that's crazy. Of course, if somebody offers to come and cook dinner for us and drop off dinner, I'm going to say yes. Thank you very thank much. You. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think that's it really helps you share the workload, share what is delegatable mm -hmm. to create space for the things that you cannot really delegate. Right. You're taking off some of your hats and you're saying, you know, that's okay. You can help me. I don't have to do it all. And sort of reminding me of one of the ideas in your book you talk about how we need to demonstrate that we we don't need to be perfect and you know in order to be good and likable and successful we don't have to be doing it all we don't have to be perfect and that you provide one of these big ideas max min mod which i feel like is what yeah. you're talking about right now and i would love for you to talk a little bit about how we can apply this principle of max min mod to our parenting and time management so that we can get some of these to-dos off of our plate, even if it's not giving it to somebody else exactly? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So Max Mudman, so one of the, when you think about these four quadrants, right, and you need to balance your time between all of those, uh, you realize that one enemy to being able to fit it all in is your own perfectionism. And parents listening, everybody, like everybody wants to do the most awesome job in every department of their lives. They want to be the best worker and they want to be the most immaculate house and the most wonderful meals. And you want to like be the perfect connector with your kid and all of that. But there's literally not enough time under any circumstances to do everything at a level of perfection that's in your mind. It's impossible. You're going to run out of time. So I, um, but telling people to not do things, ah, don't try to do everything perfectly. Perfectionists don't understand what that means. Well, what does not perfect look like? Do I just not do it at all? Like, what is that? So I developed this, it's like, well, I, it, it's a meaningless uh, piece of advice. Sure. So in my coaching, working with perfectionists, uh, I, I came up with this uh, technique that I labeled Max Min Mod. So for any task on your list that comes up in any quadrant, in anything you have to do as a parent, um, with your kid and your job, whatever, 
that threatens to kind of monopolize your time at the expense of everything else. Before you do the task, stop for a minute and ask yourself, first define three levels of performance of this task. So what's the maximum I could do, right? Like what is the, what does perfect look like? What does that actually look like? And really paint a very vivid picture of this is everything I could do to do the maximum on this task. And then you ask yourself, all right, what's the minimum I could do? Like I'm short on time. This is going to happen in uh, an hour and I'm not going to not do it, but I'm going to do what is the minimum viable solution here that will still get the job done the most efficient way. And then what's the moderate. And then after you've defined the three levels, you can actually choose which one is appropriate for the time and circumstances. So let's say you want to have this is really common, like a lot of parents really want to have you know, a better social life. They want to invite people over, but like that means, oh my God, so much organizing and getting the house ready and like cooking from scratch every single dish and, you know, the homemade cornbread and the stew that's and been... The appetizers you've actually never made before, but you're going to try right now. <laughs> exactly, because you want to be the perfect hostess, right? So you're like, I want to have people over. So, okay, what's the max? We just sort of define the max, the new appetizer, the, you know, everything from scratch. The table is beautiful. Ooh, You've bought flowers. Yes, absolutely got a tablescape. We all watch those, you know, <laughs> yes. we all see Instagram, right? What everybody else is doing. And, um, and we have to clean the house and, oh, the scrub the tiles with the toothbrush, which I have been meaning to do for the last two years. We can't have people over. So you list all the max, and then you say, how much time is all that going to take? And you literally give it a time estimate. And once you see it in writing, and you literally, this is a written exercise, by the way. Sometimes you can do it verbally. You're like, okay, that's going to take about you know, 15 hours, 12, 15 hours to get ready for this casual dinner on Friday night with our best friends. <laughs> then you say, You've okay, what's my the house minimum? looking like a bomb when all me and my Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then you're like, okay, that's like 12, 15 hours. And then you go, okay, what's the minimum I could do? And then you're like, and the minimum might be that, that like you get or something. Everybody bring Yes, exactly. There you go. It's a potluck. And you do you do one dish and you assign everything to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And uh and then you just do a really simple table, no fancy tablescaping, right? And you pick up flowers or somebody picks up flowers and you actually assign flowers to somebody in the potluck. Wow. Right? Good. Yeah. No, and then maybe cooking their new appetizer. It's just not you. <laughs> Exactly. And there is, and it's like, there is something new about it because everybody's bringing something new and it's different to each other. And the workload is like so much simpler. Mm -hmm. And then what would moderate be? Maybe like, you know, you cook like one dish, like in the oven. And then there's a couple of things that are sort of like ready-made maybe that you pick up from like a store or something yeah. like that, I would think. Right. Like, you know, yes. one of those like, Little little stores nearby that can cater some of it, maybe. That would yes. be like extra, yeah. Yeah, so you're actually serving the whole meal. You're not asking anybody to cook anything in that moderate. But you're only doing one thing from the oven and the rest is ready-made. Right. And maybe, 
And maybe you do ask a, a friend or somebody in your family to be responsible for the tablescaping. You set the table and make it look beautiful. And that could even, if your kids are old enough, they could do it, right? Mm -hmm. Or if the kids are not, right? And that, now, those are three different ways to still fulfill your goal of having friends over. We don't have an all or nothing. Either I'm able to do this perfectly or I'm not doing it at all. And you can, it's, it's, it gives you flexibility. It gives you options. It's what I call right-sizing the task for the situation. And you're remembering the goal, as you're saying, you know, that the, the goal isn't that, you know, you're, you're looking to be evaluated for your cooking skills or your tablescaping, but that you're having your friends over to enjoy a wonderful night together, eating food and laughing and just having a good time. And it's just keeping that goal in mind. That's right. That's right. And, and, and when you do that, then you can come up with a few different three different levels of performance for it and still achieve the goal. And in a way, all three of those, Robin, that we just outlined would achieve the goal. And that's the key. Mm -hmm. You're still going to have a relaxing evening with your friends. The top one is probably going to be the least relaxing evening for you. Yeah, especially if you got one thing on the stove and two things in two different ovens. And, you know, you got to remember those new, those new appetizers. <laughs> Recipes yes. And everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you're, you're, you have to make sure that the kids are not making a mess anywhere. Follow them around. Yes. Okay. So it's already stressful and we haven't even done anything yet. So uh, just even imagining right. the whole idea is, uh, it's absolutely crazy. So I have, I have kids who are eight and nine and even though they aren't really young anymore, I often find myself trying to stick one more thing into my day. Or finding, yeah. <laughs> finding my kids need one more thing for me. I mean, even if I'm not guilty of it, they, you know, want one more book. They want one more time. They want, you know, me to help them with one more thing. They, can I get me, can I get something to eat, drink, do, can I cut me a banana, da, 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 da. So how do we deal, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's probably, probably partly in line with this job description issue, partly in line with this perfectionism perfectionism issue partly in line with like what we've always done but how do we deal with this one more thing syndrome and and just stick with the job description or the plan so i think there's a couple of answers to that so first of all if you are someone who this phrase like i'm always shoving one more thing in let's start with you not your kids because they're two different issues right sure. But if you're somebody who's like, you're always trying to shove in one more thing, I actually feel that um, developing um, a sort of a handbrake to the just one more thing uh, impulse is a great new habit to develop. And I think that just one more thing is just it, a little bit valuing tasks and getting things done over experiences. Right. I got it. And it, it, there's almost a fear of downtime. There's a fear of God. Just sitting still is guilt. like waste. a guilt. Yeah, sure. That's exactly right. And so you need to create a mindset shift. And I think the job description helps with this um, where your greatest role. Think about it during the parenting years is experience and pleasure and connection and relationship and joy, it, like 
you have to factor that in or you're not going to be able to go the distance and you're going to miss a lot of the pleasure of it. So, but, but the guilt thing. So we talked about four, four of the half. We talked about half the job so far, the raising Mm -hmm. a human. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about the other half, which is the being a human. Mm -hmm. And so that's where this comes in, right? So this is the self thing. And, you know, I remember when my daughter was born and for a long time, people, especially when your kids are young, but you hear it throughout where people are like, don't forget to take care of yourself too. And you're like, right. Yeah. Like, are you right on that? Yeah. It's an insult. Yeah. You're like, really? Yes. Right. Yeah, After my kids. Were thank you. Yes. What <laughs> 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 time? Yeah. And any time you take for yourself, typically you feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you're stealing it from either your kids or your job. That's what I find is true for most parents, right? You're taking it from someone else. But that's actually unhelpful, nonproductive, like inaccurate thinking. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. self-time, so is the, is the being a human being. And in order to do your part for another person, you also have to be like a – you need to be and want to be a happy, healthy, whole human, Mm -hmm. right? You want to model that for your kids because however you're managing yourself, by the way, that's what they learn most. They, they, that's every study shows kids mimic what they see, not what they hear. Mm -hmm. So you want to model happy, healthy human, and you need to be it in order to go the distance. So there on the being a human, there are four things that we need to spend time on and balance our time between to fuel ourselves, to be able to go the distance, to be able to do our job for another person, to have the energy, the clarity, the perspective, the patience, all of that. And these are the four things. They also spell an acronym, uh, SELF, S-E-L-F, as in fueling yourself. In order to be a happy, healthy human who can do something for another, we need to spend time sleeping right? S. And we all know how vital sleep is to our mental performance, our physical energy, our mood, our patience, really our capacity to do everything, even efficiently, right? When you're sleep deprived, things take five times longer to do than when you're rested. So you're not really gaining anything by staying up late, getting things done and only sleeping five hours. It's a, it's a vicious cycle of the less sleep you have, the longer your to-dos take. Yeah, you're better off getting a full night's sleep and you'll get as much or more done rested than, than you will when you're sleep deprived. Mm, that's a good so, Yes. Let's slap that on right? The right there. Yes. I need to see that. <laughs> it's true. It's like we fool ourselves. We think we, we steal it from sleep, by the way. That's, that's what parents typically do is they give to everybody all day long. And after everybody else goes to sleep, it's their first time to take for themselves. And they they either catch up on their leftover work or they stay online all night, like on Facebook, (laughs) trying to get a little me time in. And you steal it from sleep, but it's a you are you are not gaining a darn thing when you do that. You're not getting more done. You're getting less done. So that's sleep. Right. Yes. Sleep. Good point. All right. You have to become a ninja sleeper. Oh, I mean, 
And I'm, Ninja. I'm like a huge fan. I, I might you are? know that. I'm a huge fan of sleep, but I do sometimes rob myself because I think what you're saying is right, that sometimes we're doing and doing and doing all day. Then with kids finally yeah. go to bed is the time we're taking for ourselves, which means we're trying to unwind before going to sleep. Yes. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden they're in sleep. Let's go to bed. You know, now you're trying to like connect or relax or whatever it is. And that takes time. Yeah. Yes, you are taking it away from sleep and and then you're right. exhausted. And then you're exhausted. Yeah. So sleep cannot be your only form of self-care because if it is, you know, you're doing what you're saying, you, you steal it from sleep and you're trying to fit it in uh, during when you should be sleeping is this is your first me time. So here's the other parts of self-care essential to build into the fabric of your day and your week, not occasionally. So sleep, then E is for exercise, mm-hmm. right? And that is, and it doesn't have to be formal exercise. And, you know, I think we also get caught in believing that exercise is this 60, 90 minutes, three days a week. Mm-hmm. That's, we, it's not true. There are so, high intensity interval training has been discovered. There's like, there's an eight minute workout. There's a 10 minute workout. There's a six minute workout. Mm-hmm. You could do every day. They're all over the internet. And, and science Exercise science says these can have as much or more impact as this 90 minutes, three days a week. Mm-hmm. 90 minutes, three days a week is almost impossible for most parents to maintain. Mm-hmm. But you can do 10-minute workout every – you could fit that into every single day, mm-hmm. short burst. And, you know, all kinds of movements. So, But exercise, and it gives us a sense of fitness. It gives us confidence. It gives us energy. It makes our brains work better. It gives us the feel-good hormone, right? Like all those feel-good. And that helps us do our job for our kids. Mm-hmm. Helps you to problem solve. It helps you to be more efficient in, uh, you know, helps you delegate a little bit more. It helps you connect. So exercise and movement and fitness literally enables you to do your part for another. It gives you the energy perspective, etc. Mm-hmm. The next one is love. And that's adult-to-adult relationships. To be a happy, healthy human who has the energy, the heart, the soul, the perspective to nurture another, we have to be nurtured as adults too. Mm. If you don't get that, and we can isolate as parents, right? We isolate from our friends and then even under our own roof. If you're married, you know, I mean, most of the parents that I have talked to have taken the self-assessment, et cetera, they don't, they, they are not spending enough time with their spouse on their relationship and they know it, Mm -hmm. but it's just like, it's, you have kids and all your time is spent focused on the kids or talking about the kids or off working. And then you're exhausted. Exactly. So tired. You're exhausted. You don't know what to talk to your spouse about other than the kids. Right. (laughs) And you drift. And if you don't find a way, and I and I can, we'll talk about the way, and it's actually much easier than you think. It doesn't take big blocks of time either to nurture love relationships in your life and to have those and take care of those. It also will end up stealing time and energy from your kids because if your marriage starts to get really, really strained, you know that's distracting you from time and mental space from being present for your kids, right? It affects them. And 
if you're not nurtured, it's really hard to nurture another. So, but you have to do it again in short bursts. It's this idea of changing the texture of self-care once you have kids. And I think the two things that keep us as parents from taking care of ourselves too is one, this guilt. We're supposed to sacrifice everything for our kids. Well, forget that. Like I'm telling you right now, this is in service of your kids in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But two, it's our approach that we are thinking of it and still we haven't, we never adjust our approach to self-care to the smaller packets of time more frequently delivered rather than large blocks of time delivered occasionally. Go back to that 90-minute exercise routine. Like, oh, it it means we have to go out for a night out on the town and it's going to be five hours and we need a a babysitter and and all of a sudden you're like, I can't do it all. Or the babysitter isn't available. So there it goes, you know, out the window. So, you know, you're not going out with anybody at that point. That's exactly right. That's right. And um, so you need to learn to do that in short bursts, literally, you know, uh, with your spouse. I'll talk about this a little bit. Of all the couples that I interviewed, in writing this book, and I, uh, aside from my own clients, I did a lot of interviews. The couples who had the strongest marriages while raising kids, like talked about a very similar set of behaviors that really blew my mind. Uh, by the way, I I got divorced when my daughter was three, so like I did not know these techniques, mm-hmm. but they're they're brilliant and it's accessible to everybody. So you want to hear them? Hear them. We all want to hear them. It's really, it's, it's, I I mean, they really, really stunned me. And, um, and, and, and it was almost to a, to a couple. So they, there are a few practices. One, they had this practice of what I, I called daily glue. And three to five times during the day, they would touch base with each other for five minutes, a text, a quick phone call. Hey, how was your commute? Hey, what's going on? Like, what did you have for lunch? How did that meeting go? If somebody is home with the kids, you know, the one who was working was like, what's going on with the kids this morning? So they touched base three to five times very quickly during the day, which gave them less to catch up on when they all got home at night. They were already caught up. And they kind of kept, they didn't drift apart because they really stayed, it was like glue. Like, I know what's going on in my spouse's life. I, I know what happened today and I, I don't need to get caught up and I know you don't drift apart. The second thing they did is that they tended to limit conversations or discussions around the logistics like carpools and, you know, all the stuff around a range, which can dominate your life. Who's picking what up, who up, all that stuff. They limited that mostly to email mm-hmm. so that they weren't, wasting much of their face time talking about that. It was all written down and each one could look at it on their own when they had a minute. And that limited their limited face time. Sometimes it was 20 minutes at the end of the day after the kids went to sleep or half an hour on the couch or whatever. And they dedicated any face time they had to just connecting as a couple. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of brilliant. Mm -hmm. And none of it requires big blocks of time. That's what I mean by like learning to do self-care in smaller packets Mm -hmm. delivered regularly, Mm -hmm. just integrate into the fabric of your day. Mm. 
change the texture. Really important, absolutely. And so we have the sleep and the exercise and the love. So what is the F? So the F is for fun. Mm. <laughs> exactly, right? You're like, oh, uh, you got to yeah. stick that in somewhere. <laughs> absolutely. You know, people are like, oh, you know, parenting should be fun. You should be having yeah. fun while you're doing it. And you're like, I'm just trying to get by here. So how do we stick that yeah. into and make sure that as humans, we're having fun? And I, I can think of one off the top of my head, which is just yeah. getting together with, you know, one of my girlfriends or something, uh, going out or even just staying in and having tea with a girlfriend is so awesome. I just, I love doing that. But what, what do you typically suggest? Well, so as you describe that, I, I would say that like hanging with a girlfriend for tea or whatever it is would go in the love category. Oh, and you do, okay. that's, that's a relationship thing. And you should be trying to have fun in as many, you know, being present and enjoying each of the things. So you can have fun in a lot of the things you're doing. But what I define as fun is uh, things that really make you, you. Like your passions, your hobbies, the... Um, uh, it could be pure decompression, relaxation, like just sitting still or getting a manicure or reading a book or like the things that the minute you do them, you are relaxed and absorbed and um, uh, decompressed so quickly. So uh, some people, they love to garden or they love to read or like literally like to like just walk around the park. Yeah. Yeah. Just be in nature. It makes you feel light it's and airy you, and yourself. It makes you feel exactly. And when you have things that connect you to yourself, I think almost it, it, if raising a human is about bringing out this and cultivating and facilitating like the, the development of a unique individual to recognize who is that person. And when you have more than one kid, you know, like each one is like its own being, right? Mm -hmm. Their own being. Mm -hmm. The best position you can be in to recognize who somebody else is, is to stay connected to who you uniquely are. And that happens in the fun quadrant. So important. I think a lot of people wind up pushing that off. I know in my own brain, I, you know, I used to do a lot of, uh, performing. I love doing community theater. I'd sing. I love taking the, you know, front role, principal role and, and really committing myself to that. So fun for me. And once the, once the kids came, I felt like I needed to delay that, you know, sort of put that right. piece of myself away until the kids would get old enough whenever that magic number was so that I could go back to becoming myself again. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, I need, I know it as I'm saying it, but I also realized it recently. And, and I know that it's, it's something that I need to do to show my kids that it's important to hold on to who you are as you are still, you know, being a parent and being available. So if you were to integrate that in, we'd have to try to think about a way to integrate that in, not the way you used to do it when you didn't have kids, which was rehearsals every single night. Right, right. 
right? Yes, and I want the front role, you know, so it's not like... Exactly, I'm you know, star. Oh, every once in a while. Like, that was, and I think that's what got in the way. I think it is true, your max, min, mod idea, where you're like, you know what, maybe, you know, one of the things that I can do is just take voice lessons, you know, just to kind of get, right. you know, be doing it a half an hour a week while the kids are in school or something like that, where you're doing something that you absolutely love and you can rehearse in the car and do things like that. You still feel like you're doing something, but you're not, you're not like, Oh, at seven o'clock, I'm sorry. I need to be at the theater and that's four days a week. And then by the way, it's running five, you know, five consecutive weekends, you know, I'm not available because that's not possible. It's true. Right. And you can also like, if your kids, what you want to do is you want to cultivate in everybody, like there are hobbies and passions and strengths that, w that we should all be cultivating, right? So like, I don't know if your kids are eight and nine. On the weekends, is there time when they're doing their activities? Not just when they're in school, but when they're doing their activities, whether it's soccer or dance or whatever their things are. What would happen if everybody was doing their thing at that time? While your kids were in their stuff, that's when you had your singing lessons. It's sort of like thematic right, right? sort of synchronize. you're synchronizing this is a value uh, uh that you believe in right we all have our interests and we all need to pursue our our personal interests and if you did it if you could synchronize it time-wise it's a pretty powerful it's easy you don't feel like well you're you're taking something away from your kids which dinner time would and it it so it's something to think about and also Robin, if you think about what it communicates to kids when they and think about this, if your own parents were your parents either just working or completely devoted to the kids all the time, or did any of them have any interests? And I think they were much better about, you know, I think they were better in the fun category. I have to say, like they went out every Saturday night, you know, with their friends, they, you know, they, they still like got out, they went on vacation. I don't think my generation is doing quite as much of that kind of thing. I think we, we wind up making a lot of excuses, even like in the sense where, you know, I, I, when we go and our kids are in activities, a lot of us will stay and watch, you know, every, yeah. you know, soccer game, every gymnastics practice where my parents did not do that unless it was like a field hockey game or, you know, like an actual game. They weren't there, you know, watching everything. They had things that they were doing on their own, whether it was, you know, hanging out with friends or playing te – my dad played tennis, you know, things like that that made it so they were doing their own thing. And I, I can't say that I'm doing as good of a job with that at this point and feel like I need to integrate more of that into my life. Yes, but I think the reason why, like – this generation is doing what you just said, which is they're so really there for their kids more than any, because they maybe their parents were a little too, not there enough, mm -hmm. right? And so it's a little it's compensatory, mm -hmm. and there's a there's a middle ground, and I think that's what I'm hoping and what I believe the book can give people a roadmap to, which is a balanced approach not this pendulum swinging where parents are like off doing their own thing and kids are feeling like what about me mm -hmm. my, my parents have such their own life they're not focused enough in, in my world 
versus, oh my God, my parents are only defined by my life and they don't have any of their own interests, which is a burden to kids too, by the way. Like, it's like, mom, they could, I bet your kids, if you started singing, Mm -hmm. they would love that you have something that's unique to you. It's inspiring. It takes a little bit of the pressure off them that your entire life is defined by them. Mm -hmm. It makes you more of a whole person, Mm -hmm. which they aspire to be. It's very healthy. Mm -hmm. But if you were away every night and on the weekends during a show run, they'd be like, uh, that's, you know. So I think you want to, you know, in the book, I, I, I shared a story of a client that I had that was probably the greatest lesson in this. A woman invited me, uh, invited me, hired me to um, uh, organize what had been become her junk room, right? And um, I went in, and she had an empty nest, right? And she said, "This room's been." Uh, and before you organize any room, you have to say, "Well, what's the function of the room? What do we want to use this room for?" And she said, "I want it to be like a craft room." And I was like, okay. And when we think of crafts, if I say craft, what do you think? You, you know, you think like you know, little arts and crafts. Yeah. Scrapbooking. Yeah. That kind of- Which can be, you know, relaxing and nice and all of that. And I, we, we, it, this room was really like piled high. You could barely get in the room. So we unearthed stuff. And as we organized and, and pulled things out, underneath all of that were bolts of fabrics that were, um, there were these books on textiling. There were underneath this woman, she'd gone to undergraduate and graduate school and she was like, she did quilting and all kinds of textile arts. I mean, it was, um, she'd gone to school for it, but then she, so this was her passion. And then she had gotten married and had kids and became a full-time, she devoted herself to parenthood. And she just never pursued or developed that. And she could have developed it as a hobby, which is really where she was, you know, spend a few hours every week or an hour every night or half an hour a day, like working in her shop would have made her so happy. Now that she had an empty nest, this was what we were unearthing. And I thought, what would have been like if her kids seems part of her? I, no one even knew she completely buried it and then brought it out after like 28 years or something like that. And the whole time she was raising her kids, if she had fueled that part of herself, when you're not fueling that, like as much as you're doing for your kids, there's a little resentment. There's a little, you're operating on empty. It's like you don't have a full fuel tank and you're pushing, pushing, pushing. I'm going to do this, grin and bear it. But that would have fueled her the whole time such an important lesson really just taking that in right now and I bet you a lot of parents are taking that in and sort of applying it to their lives I'd love for for you to tell us right now what your top tip is what is your top tip for making sure that we have uh, good time management skills as a parent both for the benefit of our kids and the benefit of being our whole selves. I think the one, if there was one thing that everybody, you know, integrated, remember the top tip, the big right between the eyes change to make is to recognize that what humans need, little humans 
and big humans is short bursts of undivided attention delivered consistently. Short bursts, and we are talking five to 15 minutes, 20 minutes at a time. That's what the science, when I was, how much time and attention do kids need to feel loved and secure? That was the answer that I finally dug out of literally reading thousands of pages of studies, Mm -hmm. talking to experts, that it's little kids, humans thrive on short bursts, five to 15 minutes of undivided attention delivered consistently, not big blocks of time delivered erratically. And kids, when it comes to kids, we have to remember kids have short attention spans. So most experts say to calculate the kids uh, about a minute for each age of life. Mm-hmm. A one-year-old has about a one-minute attention span before their eyes kind of drift to the next shiny object. Five-year-old, five minutes, 15-year-old, 15, 15 minutes. And if you build that into the regular cadence of the day, when the, each point of reconnection with your kids, when they first wake up, when you send them off to school, when you get home from work or they get home from school, dinner, bedtime, those five points in the day, the first reconnection, when they wake up, it's not hurry up, get dressed, let's rush, and then we'll have some quality time. No, it's five minutes, six minutes. Hey, good morning. How'd you sleep? Did you have any dreams? What 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 are you looking forward to today? What's on your plate today? How are you feeling? When you first get home from work, it's not, why is this place a mess? Mm-hmm. Why did nobody cook dinner? Mm-hmm. Did you do your homework? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, you didn't p- practice piano. Mm-hmm. And then, nope, before you cross that threshold, let go of work. Don't be doing one more phone call as you're crossing that threshold to finish up with a one more thing. Right, Robin? Yeah. The just one more thing. Take that out. Mm-hmm. Before you cross any threshold, shift your gears and say, what is my intention on the other side of this door? And it's to connect. It's that, it's that nurturance. And if you build that into the everyday fabric of your life with your kids and also learn to do that for yourself, I'm going to take 10 minutes of self-care right now. I'm going to take 20 minutes to sit with a friend and really enjoy this cup of latte. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit and just eat my sandwich and focus on it for 15 minutes. That is a 15 minute burst of self-care in the day. Most parents are like, I never sit still and just enjoy my food. I never do it. I'm always rushing. You do that. You build that in these short bursts into of self-care into your day and short bursts of undivided attention to your kids. That's the foundation where everybody thrives. Big blocks of time are bonuses. Big blocks of times can make memories. Those are great. But to feel loved and secure and whole, think short bursts of undivided attention to your kids and yourself delivered consistently. That is transformative and will get you through the whole, the whole ride feeling good so important and i i think it's just vital what you're saying here and it takes a lot of the pressure off julia can you tell us what the resource of the week is where can people go to get more information about you and your book and the work you're doing now great uh yeah they can come to my website 
juliemorgenstern.com um, and poke around. If you go to the book page for Time to Parent, you can read about the book and also take the online self-assessment that will give you your current parent time profile um, and sort of guide you a little bit and where your strengths are and where your challenges are and how you can sort of correct and where in the book you can go so you don't have to read the whole book cover to cover because that saves you time too. Mm. And the book, the book is really designed. I wrote this to be like what to expect when you're expecting is for pregnancy. Time to parent is for the full span of the parenting years. It's a reference book mm-hmm. where you just go any time you feel off balance, you go to the chapter, you find a tip, you correct it and, and get back to being present. So you can go there and do that. And I have a podcast too um, called Time to Parent, which brings the stories and the science of the book to life. And there's a podcast page on my website, so you can listen to a few episodes and, you know, subscribe and join in and send in your questions so I can address them on the podcast. Oh, excellent. I'm sure people will uh, love to do that. And if you're driving, don't worry, people. We have all of the show notes on the Dr. Robin Silverman page, so we will have the links to Julie's website and to the book just in case you are unable to take it in right now and write it down. And I want to thank you, Julie, for coming on the show and give us your, giving your insights and your strategies. I love the idea of short bursts of time. I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off, and it allows us to be ourselves at the same time as allowing us to give the time we need to to our children. So thank you so much for all of that. It's my pleasure. And I want to throw one last point into oh. everybody who's listening. The other, if, if you gave me two main points, the second one is it is never too late to hit reset. Mm-hmm. So if you are listening, you're like, oh my God, I have not been doing this. My kids are eight and nine or 11 or six, and I haven't taken care of myself. I haven't been there for them. You can hit reset tomorrow. It is never too late. And the science says that kids' brains keep developing and the heart, all of us just want to connect, right? That's all we want to do. And so we will all respond like flowers to water to undivided time and attention. Just deliver it in short bursts and start right away. It's so true. And, you know, we say here that parenting is the ultimate do-over. And I agree with you that you can start at any time to change what you're doing, to have the conversation that you haven't had, to use a tip that you haven't used. So I appreciate what you're saying there, Julie. And I believe it is so true. So thank you so very much. And thank you for all the great work you do helping parents with scripts and tips. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, too. Well, I've got my takeaways, and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm going to be going back and forth with Julie when this is out so that everybody can uh, get connected. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be putting memes up and quoting the fabulous Julie Morgenstern all week so that you can share her wise words with the world. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can learn about Julie's great solutions and use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there. The show notes are up there as well. And as always, I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. 
And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. As we were just saying, parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're ten times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. 